Yes, yes, people, it's your boy, K-Money, Trauma One, Polar Funk, K-Scott. Yes, we're back for another episode of Echoes from the Void. Oh, gosh. A lot's been going down, as always, because that's the life I live. You know, not bragging. I'm just cool like that, people. (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, as usual, we are, you know, I've got a, a few stories that I've seen in the news that I just thought were a little something to comment on, you know. Um, yo, we've got an in-depth look at the upcoming London Film Festival program. I'm going to go through, you know, my picks so far for that. Um, yo, went to Jungle Brothers last week, that was great, um, reviewing a couple of films, then we got the books, the comics, uh, yo, our, our HelloFresh competition is still going down, and for the first time in a while, got a little music review for you, yeah, one story the, you know, just, I thought was crazy, everyone's talking on it, um, it's the Aretha Franklin funeral, people, what the fuck was that, it was just like, when you look at the pictures, like, Arena Grande looks, she looks a little shook, and the, and the, and the, uh, yeah, the bishop is looking in her face like, yeah, girl, you know what's up. It's just a bit fucked up. And, you know, of course he's apologised. You know what I mean? And, yeah, he's apologised and everything like that. But, his apology is just a bit, It's a bit rubbish It was just like Oh, I would never by intention To touch any woman's breast Maybe I crossed a border Maybe I was too friendly or familiar No shit, son This is the thing You know When you grab a little side breath You know what you've done You know what you've done so, and in those situations, you don't just, hey, I'm just going to style it out. and I'm just going to keep grabbing. Going to keep grabbing. Yeah, well, she can look down, but I ain't going to stop. It's just like, it's insane. You know what I mean? I've, like, I've, I've probably mentioned it before. My sight is shit. My, my, my sight is bad. You know, um, I have no depth perception. So, I've... Hugged friends, hugged female friends, and you know, or gone to shake a hand and completely just missed the hand and grab breast. You know what I mean? When I say grab, it wasn't grab because that wasn't. It was you know what I mean? Touch. Let's say touch because grab just sounds bad. Yeah, there was no grabbing. Let Let's get that out there. There was no grabbing, but you know, you brush. You bu- and when that happens, yo, the reaction is, oh shit, my bad, I am sorry, you know, w- that was not my intention, 
you don't just, hmm, yeah, I'm just gonna grab a little more. I'm gonna caress, I'm gonna creep this shit out. So, yeah, it was a little bit weird. I mean, the only thing in his defense is around a, 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 a rain, a rain, a rain, a, Jesus Christ, I pronounced it correctly just a minute ago. Arana Grande is 25. So, she's probably a bit too old for a bishop. That's his only defence. His only one defence in this shit. Otherwise, homie's just a little creepy, you know? See, you have that. But then you've also got, like... The, the the dude that was doing the eulogy at the end just running his gums like but I have to say the family should have shown true diligence on that you know I I will look I'm not saying they're fully to blame but you have to give people guidelines when they're doing certain shit because people do run amok and you know, from all accounts, a similar thing happened at that royal wedding that happened earlier in the year. You know, I've, like friends have told me that, like the, the the bishop went on for a long ass time. So that is recent. So you saw that happening. So I'd have been okay. Let's make sure that our dude doesn't do that kind of shit. They didn't. And then he went on a 50-minute agenda that was just kind of definitely misjudged. Like, he was definitely grandstanding. I think that's pretty damn obvious, you know? Um, The the craziest thing is the way, though, that he was kind of running his gums on single parenthood. When Aretha raised four kids on her own, so you're there to give her an eulogy, to, you know, be nice and everything, but you're bad-mouthing basically a part of what she was, so in effect you're bad-mouthing her, Is it just crazy, it was just a crazy event, to be honest it was a, probably a little bit too much. Yo, just put her to rest, say a few things, done and dusted, man. All those people, like, I can guarantee that there were people up in that place that just didn't give a damn, that were there for the coverage and the exposure. That's that's it. And that's just weird. I mean, what I would like to see, because, you know, you know it's, during the years, there's been a trend of putting out honest trailers, we really should start getting to honest eulogies, though, because everyone that does die was amazing. Yeah, I mean, like you know, like you see people getting like stabbed and murdered and like all kind of things, and the circumstances look a bit shady. But it'd be like never, no, no one had a bad word for that person. Yeah, they were a saint. Obviously, they weren't. He's like, they're a saint. It's just like, yo, just. I would want the just the truth to be said. Firstly, not many people would be coming to mind. <laughs> I mean, I mean that's pretty clear. But um, 
yeah, just say just say it as it is. I don't give a fuck. Obviously, because I won't be there. I will be judging you though. But yeah, I don't, it's like just say it as it is. You don't have to grandstand. You don't have to make shit up. Yo, let's just be. Because really, if only good people were dying, why be good? Because it seems that, hey, if you're a bad motherfucker, you're going to live forever. Boom. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> that, that, that's, what, that's, what, that's, what it, that's what they're saying to us, man. Don't be good because then you die. So, yeah, live life like a bad motherfucker. You heard it here first, people. Okay, right. Some more news, yeah? I've been in the dating game for a little bit and, um, you know, sometimes you go on bad dates, sometimes you have a fun time. It's always a bit weird when it comes to the bill, you know, because you always want the girl to, you know, make an offer. And depending on what you do, yeah, it's, it, I think it's always reasonable for, you know, her to put some money towards or pay half, I mean, whatever, whatever the vibe of the day is, but one guy in, um, one guy in Los Angeles <laughs> figured that he wasn't going to pay for anything, so there was, um, yeah, this guy, Paul Gonzalez, has been arrested because, Arrested and facing 13 years in prison because he has repeatedly ran out on dates, leaving his, um, you know, the girl he's on a date with to pick up the bill. So they've estimated that he has racked up $950. Which is seven hundred and thirty pounds worth of bills um, between May two thousand and May twenty sixteen and April twenty eighteen, and he's done this to at least ten women. Yeah, so it, it's supposedly he'd be ordering all the most expensive things on the menu. Yeah, and then. Just disappearing, which is crazy. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it's like I have a feeling that they're probably gonna put him away for a while. He might not get the full thirteen years, but it kind of you get the feeling that you know they're probably want to make an example out of him, because it is just shitty, it's a shitty thing to do, I mean, I remember one time I went on a date, and um, as the bill came, the girl was like, oh, I, I need to go to, um, I need to go to the bathroom, and she disappeared for ages, and only came back when the bill had been taken care of, which was a bit like, Oh dear, yeah. But from from that kind of thing, you think mm, I don't want to meet you again because you're just kind of shitty person. So 
You know, like, it's not the worst crime in the world, but it's a shitty crime. So, yeah. Looks like Mr. Gonzalez is going to be having less expensive meals for a little while. (laughs) So, another crazy story that I saw last week was um, a homeless man in Philadelphia is suing a couple for 400,000. Um now it's not just a random suing and a random couple. So there was this homeless person I believe it was last year um Johnny Bobbit and he gave a woman his last, supposedly, his last $20 because she had run out of petrol and was stranded. So, after doing this, the lady, Kate McClure, and her boyfriend, Mark D'Amico, started a GoFundMe campaign to raise money for Mr. Bobbitt. Um, yeah, and supposedly they, they, you know, they raised a, a bucket load of cash for the guy. Um, you know, they originally were looking for 10,000. Um, but yeah, it went, you know, Far and a, far and above that, <laughs> you know. We, but the the weird thing, I you know, I wonder where how they came to, you know, like the the, the ten thousand kind of idea of this is how we what much we want to raise. But yeah, so they raised a bucket load of cash. Um, for this guy, and everything was fine, but as with any of this craziness, shit's gonna get messed up, and so all parties fell out, you know, and Mr. Bobby is now suing. For the remainder of the money in the account, which is four hundred thousand, um, no, like so weird. There's the you know the 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 couple, of just like you know they're claiming that they've kept control of the money because, like, Mister Bobbit blew twenty thousand on drugs. In just 13 days. And so they're saying he eats through the money. um, And that he can't be trusted to look after this money on his own. (laughs) But he's claiming that they had been buying like BMWs. Going on holiday. Just living a lavish lifestyle. Of money that was meant to be his. 
so it's all it's all just crazy but a judge ordered them to hand over the money uh yeah hand over the money by um the end of the week right so you know that now they're claiming that there's only about 150,000 left okay so they've been ordered to hand over this money by the end of the week and um <laughs> like it's you kind of like at the beginning you kind of wonder oh you know what what's what's the deal here but it's just like their only real argument is they just all keep on saying like Mr. Bobbitt, every 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 lot of money he's touched was used for drugs. That's just their complete argument to it all, which is yeah, it doesn't really bode well for for them. You know what I mean? And really, there, there's not really an argument because like it wasn't their money. So they don't really have a claim to it. All you have to do is look at the account. You you'll be able to see how much money has been withdrawn. You then can marry it up to their activities. You can see what's been going down. So it's not going to be difficult for for the court to really work any of this shit out. But um, <laughs> one of the the funniest things was um. They were given the deadline to give the money over, and the uh, the couple's lawyer said that meeting the Friday deadline would be difficult, <laughs> and and the judge just responded, "The banks are open Friday. Most banks are open Saturday, and if the monies aren't in the bank, they can pull their money out of their pillowcases and have them delivered." To you to be handed over and placed in a trust account, which you know I thought was kind of amusing. So yeah, this is, is you know, it's just one of these stupid like money raising things. You see it all the time. Like people raise money, then they embezzle the money. Like a a, a lady, an MP. Did it recently in the UK. Um, and she kept money that was raised for the Greenfell Tower. Like, it's not a new thing. You you, you always see it. Whenever huge amounts of money are raised, this is always the thing that happens. But people have that guilt, don't they? You know, they think, oh, I should give to this, I should give to that, with, with, with things that really have no consequence, look, if you want to help something, help a known entity, help an, a known charity, hey, shit, that can be even be risky, but it's less risky than giving it to some strangers on GoFundMe to help with some bullshit, so, um, yeah, it's not really too surprising, but fuck, I think this is the way things are going, really. Society is falling apart, people. <laughs> hey, so, 
believe it or not, and this is it's just crazy, like, it's the 30th anniversary of the Jungle Brothers Straight Out the Jungle album. It's just, when you think of it like that, it's just insane. Man, time flies by, right? But, um, yeah, so because of that, they, they're, they're doing a, a tour and, yeah, they're all over the place, like, doing gigs and shit. So I went, I just went to see them at the, uh, at the Jazz Cafe in Camden. And, um, yo, it, it was, it was cool, man. I, you know, I definitely a big fan of the Native Tums back in the day. Like, just, I managed to go see Tribe a few years ago. So getting to see, um, Jungle Brothers. Oh, that was, that was cool. That was big. You know what I mean? So like everyone was in the house, Mike G, Africa Bam, Baby Bam. And then Sammy, um, DJ Sammy B. And they were, yeah, they still had the energy, man. Still had the energy, which was good. Like, sometimes you see, like, old school cats perform. And they're out of breath. You know what I mean? They're doing mad short sets because they do not have the energy to do, like, over an hour. You know, but Jungle Brothers held it down. They were... Yeah, oh, they were lively. They, you know, what I mean, they were really amped and bringing the energy. It was, um, yeah, because you know they were doing that album, so yeah, it it, it was good hearing, um, yeah, like the old tracks. So that was cool, but they they also you know still did some stuff. From like other albums, so like they did a couple of tracks from Raw Deluxe, which is one of my favorite albums. I, yeah, really like that album. So that was good. Um, yeah, and they did like sprinkles of other things and stuff like that. You know, trying to get the vibe up and everything. But yeah, it was you know it it, it was cool. It, it was it was a it was a fun night. The um yeah the the crowd was odd. It was an odd crowd, like you know from from going to like rap gigs back in the day. Like this was a different. It was a different energy in the place. You know, back in the day, everyone was just like on the lyrics. Um, you know, really invested in what you were hearing, like, now t- it seems, I don't know, people are there, they're there to have a fun time, but it's kind of like they've just stumbled on these people, or a friend has told them they're good, so they figured, hey, we'll go and check them out, because, yeah, they're meant to be good, and we can now talk about it uh, on Instagram to all our peoples. So it's a definitely it's, it's a different energy nowadays in a lot of the when you go to a lot of these gigs, and um, yeah, people weren't as energized as you'd have hoped, but they were very responsive. You know, for like the typical calls and that kind of stuff. Yeah, they would respond, they would answer back, but it was different. You know, like I saw Anderson Pack um 
and the energy in that room was insane. Yo, even like Farrah Munch, I saw Farrah Munch around kind of this, no, probably about September, October. It was probably about last year at the Jazz Cafe again. And that was crazy. That was Oh, if you if you'd sparked a a match in that place, it would have gone off, you know. It, and last night, the Jungle Brothers, it wasn't that energy, you know. Because yeah, the the crowd was oh, like one of the fun, weirdest things, you know. There's a load of people had their phones out like filming. I don't mind taking the odd picture, because you know, I take a picture so I can frame, you know, what I might be talking about. So I'll do that. But I'm not taking pictures all night. You know what I mean? I'll do one, two snap. Boom. That's that's me done. Now I'm going to enjoy the actual atmosphere and, and the vibe of being there in the moment. But you had all these people with their phones out filming. And it got crazy when this one dude pulled out a tablet. He's standing in the place holding a frigging tablet filming. You know what I mean? A phone is bad enough. But a tablet, that's blocking so much, man. But he's just like, throughout the night, he was just with his tablet up, which is crazy. But that kind of summed up the type of people that was there. But, you know, I was there with my peoples, and we had fun. We had a fun night. My boy Peter hooked it up. So, got a, you know what I mean? Mad respect for that. And, um, yeah, it was good. It, it was it was good. So, I would say, you know what I mean? If the, if, if they're going to be in your town and you get the opportunity, go check out the Jungle Brothers, man. Be a true brew brother, a true blue brother, you know what I mean? <laughs> so finally, the um, programme for the upcoming BFI London Film Festival 2018 has been released. Um, the the festival will be running the 10th to the 21st of October and um, yeah so the BFI have now launched the program and uh, they had a they had a, like an event at the BFI that was so they ran through a, a lot of the um, elements of the program they featured a, a few films talked about the gala Gala films, some of the events, some things like that, and um, yeah, like different people from the BFI came up and spoke about the strands um, and the films that they were looking forward to. So that was on a Thursday evening, and uh, yeah, it was great fun. I was meant to be going with a friend, but they couldn't make it, so I went solo as I do a lot of the time. You know what I mean? And um, hey, still a fun night. Uh, I got hey, spoke is got speaking to um the the guy next to me, uh Tim, big up Tim, and and we spoke about you know we shared our opinions on films. Both went to the festival last year, so it was just talking about what we were looking forward to, um you know the experiences we've had and that kind of stuff, and then um afterwards. Had a had a great chat with um, uh, a few a couple of the girls from the membership team at the BFI, Millie and um, Millie and Elaine. 
had a had a good talk about representation in in the film industry and um just stuff like that so it was a it was a it was a fun evening it was a difficult evening because i saw a lot of films that i want to see which is a problem <laughs> it's a big problem because i don't think i can afford to see them all you know like last year i think i got around to seeing i think i saw nine or ten films last year and the crazy thing was everyone was good everyone i think the the, the film the worst film i saw was the boy downstairs and i really liked that film so you know that goes to show the films that I saw. I mean, some of the standouts last year was I, mean, I remember seeing a film called The Lovers, which was about a couple spiraling down the route to separation and then finding that they still cared for each other. So that was a great film. And the thing about that, I wasn't even intending to see that film. I'd gone to see something else. I forget the name, but it turned out that it had subtitles, so I couldn't watch it because, um, yeah, I can't read. I can't see the subtitles on the screen. So yeah, there's always a problem if there's subtitles in a film. Uh, you know, if I'm with friends, they'll read them out some of the time. You know, but it's just a bit problematic. So I left. Um, had a chat with a, a girl from the BFI who was upstairs and you know she she hooked me up and she was just like look if you want go and see one of these films and um, yeah I just took a gamble man and and that it was a I really enjoyed the film another standout film um, and I and I know I've spoken about it a few times well, I've spoken about it on Insta a few times, but it was Princess Sid. And it's just such a lovely film. It's like it's on Netflix right now. And I just highly recommend you checking it out. It's a just it's it's really about, you know, relationships, finding who we are, the acceptance we have for other people and other views and opinions, you know, and just not putting a um, a label on love, you know, like if you put a label on it, you might not find what you really want, but yeah, when you're just open, yo, know, it's there, and I, I, you know, and I, that was the great thing about that film, and the soundtrack that goes with it, it was just really. Yeah, just it was fan fantastic. It was just it's a it's a lovely film, and you know the acting in the film is just just great. So yeah, I I would definitely say if you have um, if you've got Netflix, check it out. If you don't have Netflix, you know, rent it. Go like rent the film. It's just, it's really worth. It's just worth the time, you know. Um, yeah, I. Ooh, what were the other standouts? Man, oh, I I saw um. I saw a really good film with uh, 
God, Vince Vaughn. Vince Vaughn uh, is set in a prison. And now I just have to try and remember what it what it was. Um, yeah, what it was called. I cannot remember what it was called. But um, let me let me see if I can find. Oh, and by the way, uh, Stephen Stephen Cohn is the director of Princess Sid. So yeah, check that out. And um, yeah, the Vince Vaughn film. I mean, it's, um, it was something about cell block. Yeah, there there there, there was something in there about. Um, Cell, cell block. Ugh, yeah, I'm being. My mind is just. It's gone. It's gone. But that was a great film. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Like, honestly, it was just you were never really there. That was really good. Um Yeah, what well, yeah, you were never really there. Um Let the Sun Shine In. That was that was also really good. Um Yeah, but you know, essentially I just saw a heap of Fantastic Brawl in Cell Block ninety nine. That was the film. Brawl in Cell Block ninety nine. Yeah, and so essentially, I just saw some amazing films last year. So I'm looking forward to seeing some more films this year. Uh, and the ones right. So I'm gonna basically just break down the films that I saw. That I was like, okay, these. I'm definitely gonna try. And see these films because then the big thing is just trying to mirror up the schedule to make sure you can fit everything in, you know, and then just see, making sure nothing's all sold out and all of that. Some of the ones are in the gala, so it's you know entering the ballot to see if you can get tickets for those. But um, you know, like Steve McQueen, yeah, like Twelve Years a Slave, Hunger, Shame. You know he's got a new film coming called Widows. Um, I'm I'm sure a lot of people have seen um, the trailer and the buzz for that, and he co-wrote it with Gillian Flynn. Um, so this is the blurb: When Veronica's husband. Uh, is killed during a daring heist. She and the wives of the men he worked with discover money was owed to some particularly nasty people, and now they want it back. Where the title Widows might suggest women define by their husband's absence, McQueen turns this idea on its head as Davis, Michelle Rodriguez, Elizabeth Debicki, and Cynthia Irivi find empowerment and unexpected solidarity in tackling their men's unfinished business. Steve McQueen and co-writer Gillian Flynn 
offer a strikingly contemporary reworking of Linda LaPlante's groundbreaking 1980s television series, relocating the action to Chicago with a local election exposing race and class conflict along with political corruption in urban America. I it just it looks and it sounds great, so that's on the list. We've then got a film um, from Tinji Kishan Kish Krishnan called Been So Long, um, and it's starring Michaela Cole, Arins Kenen, and George Mackay. I probably butchered those names. Apologies, and this is a Netflix film. Um, and it's adapted from Che Walker's stage play and retaining Arthur Darville's original songs. Been So Long is a contemporary musical set on the streets of Candom Town. Krishnan shoots this familiar locale with streets bathed in neon and rich in romantic possibilities. Uh, BAFTA winner Michaela Cole lights up the big screen as dedicated and whip-smart single mum Simone, whose encounter with the confident yet secretive Irafan Raymond, played by the past star Arizini Kenny, has her head spinning. The charis- charismatic pair lead an all an all-singing and dancing ensemble populated by a wealth of homegrown talent. Yeah, that looked great. Uh, another film that looked good was The Hate You Give, directed by George Tillman Jr. Um, adapted by Soul Food, Soul Food director George Tillman Jr., from Angie Thomas, best-selling, Black Lives Matter-inspired young adult no- novel, The Hate You Give, is an inexpansive un- and electrifying hybrid of coming-of-age tropes and powerful social drama. It boasts remarkable, textured lead performance from Amanda Stenberg. She was um, Rue. In the hunt, in the hunt, words, man, in the Hunger Games, um, and she's uh, a code switching star Carter who presents one face to family and friends in her predominantly black neighborhood, but a different one to her white prep school classmates and boyfriend Chris. Initially playing like a smart teen movie, the film's effervescent flow is brutally disrupted when Star witnesses the fatal police shooting of her childhood friend, Carly. This shifts in tone is multi-layered as Tillman and screenwriter Audrey Wells go beyond the facts of a fictional yet all too familiar case to consider the human cost behind blaring headlines. 
uh, another film that just looked insane, insane and just fun and good was Assassination Nation from Sam Levinson. Um, <clears throat> Assassination Nation opens with cinema's most audacious trigger warning as a montage of lurid images unfolds on screen. Viewers are advised that the subsequent film contains, among other things, sexual content, toxic masculinity, homophobia, transphobia, guns, racism, the male gaze, sexism, torture and fragile male egos. However, this seemingly endless list of misdemeanors is certainly no last minute apology it is a celebration and now that everyone is primed for exactly what's in store director sam levinson can truly let rip salem high school senior lily and her gal pals exist in a supposedly safe school media bubble documenting and sharing their aspirational lives with fastidious dedication but there are some secrets that even these young exhibitionists wouldn't want to reveal when a targeted data hack exposes the private lives of the town's residents mob mentality prevails and salem quickly descends into a breeding ground of mayhem and murder with lily and her gang smack bang in the center yeah it looks it does look insane, but just a lot of fun. Um, another film with another returning Oscar-winning director is Barry Jenkins' If Bill Street Could Talk. Uh, there seems to be a lot of buzz about this film. I've seen it uh, mentioned as an early uh, Oscar contender. Um, and it says, love is what brought you here. And if you trusted it this far, trust it all the way. Tish and Fonny have known each other since childhood, but only latterly discovered that the safe, easy familiarity between them has bloomed into a love so intoxicating it promises everlasting joy and happiness but life is not destined to be so easy for a young black couple living in 1970s Harlem. Fonny is falsely accused of a rape and an unjust judicial system refuses to acknowledge the impossibility of his having committed the crime. Tish and her family struggle to exonerate him. This is only the second time a book by Baldwin has been adapted for the screen. Interesting. So yeah, it it just looks... It looks like it's one of those films that's really going to get down into your core, you know? So I'm really hoping I can get tickets for this one. Um, there's, a, there's a documentary... Uh, called Mr. Soul that looks really interesting and this is from Melissa Hazlip and Samuel D. Pollard 
uh, in the wake of the civil rights move, movement, a TV show with a tendency to celebrate black artistry and black culture entered American households running from 1968 to 1973. Soul was both ahead of its time and depending on the perceptive yeah, perspective of its viewers, finely attuned to it giving center stage to a wave of militant poets and intellectuals, dancers, soul musicians, and African-American artists, including Sidney Poitier, Stevie Wonder, and James Baldwin. The man behind it all was Ellis Haslip, the gentle screen presence whose life and career are assembled here via Excerpts from the show and present-day interviews. This fascinating and inspirational documentary is directed by Sandy Pollard and Ellis's niece, Melissa Haslip, showing that that talent can indeed run in the family. Mr. Soul will have you dancing all the way home. Yeah. And then there was a film called Verses. This is directed by Ed Lilly. Uh, and um, Ed Lilly's feature debut stars Connor Swindells as Adam, an angst-ridden youth who has been shunted around the care system since early childhood, but is finally assigned by caseworker Terry to a foster home in South End, where his biological mother lives. After a chance encounter in an arcade, Adam is drawn into the Seaside Resort's underground hip-hop scene by promoter Makala. Um, She encourages him to develop his speedy word skills to take on the town's reigning battle rap champions, played by Jovon Wade and real-life MC Shotty Hurrah. Can this sharp-tongued protagonist put his rage to good use, combining rhyme-laden set pieces with downbeat drama versus offices offers a very British take on the eight mile template. So that could be fun. And <clears throat> then we get to a uh, you know a little bit of a throwback film called The Favourite. Uh, this is um Yorgos Lanthimos's third English language film in uh, four years. Uh, It's the early 18th century. England is at war with France and Queen Anne's poor health finds her relying on her doting friend, Lady Sarah. When Sarah's cousin, Abigail, arrives at the palace, her charm soon wins the Queen's attentions and the shrewd girl sees a way to restore her social status lost through her father's disastrous wages. While stakes of the heart high, with stakes of the heart high, apologies, the two women soon become rivals for the Queen's affections in a wickedly funny game of one-up 
womanship. This is a riotous, gleeful and supremely intelligent filmmaking with every department in exquisite chorus. It looked a lot of fun. Um, A lot of talent in the film, including people like uh, Nicholas Holt, Mark Gatiss, Tony McNamara. Um, So, yeah, you know, I, I think it's definitely one to watch out for. Uh, the Coen Brothers have a film playing at the festival. Uh, this is another Netflix production, and it's called The Ballad of Buster Shrugs. And, um, okay, if you want to fathom the bottomless world that is the Coen's imagination, look no further. As storytelling goes, this is a wildly idea idiocentric, undeniably hilarious and often touchingly melancholic is cinema brio study of the American West. Every delectable chapter presents a different story from the wild frontier with tone and style perfectly calibrated for each tale. The Ballad of Buster Shrugs finds Tim Blake Nelson playing a sharp shooting songster in near alongness James Franco's wannabe bank robber gets his due and then some and just a little bit more for good measure it's um I believe it's six kind of chapters all, all combining to make this film it's originally meant to be a TV series uh, and it got reworked to be made into a film now I think word on the film has been mixed but you find that the case with a lot of the Coen Brothers stuff that for the most part I've enjoyed most of their films so yeah I'm going to um, see what we can do with that and um, another Netflix offering you know the film festival is really diverse they're showing streaming stuff so that's good but yeah this next one's called The Outlaw King Uh, and it's from David McKenzie now this is um, Scotland 1304 English King Edward has triumphed William Wallace is in hiding and the nobles north of the border have been forced into submission. Although he is a favourite for the Scottish throne, Robert the Bruce, played by Chris Pine, remains steadfast in his desire to end the occupation and as his unease at the treatment of his subjects increases, plans for insurrection ferment. With the ruthless Prince of Wales as his foe, Robert quickly discovers that playing fair is not rewarded. And when the Prince gives the decree to raise the dragon, the time for chivalry is officially over. And it's a no-holds-barred fight for Scotland's existence. Pine exudes gravitas and charisma as both a strong ruler and beloved man of the people he's supported by a cracking ensemble cast supplying flesh and blood to battle scenes while rising star Florence Pugh 
um, is superb as Robert's spirited English wife. As a director, Mackenzie has often exploded the nuances of Mac out of mechanism, machismo, and it's with obvious relish that he works on such a grand scale here. A bold vision of the era, Outlaw King is a hugely entertaining epic set amid the draw-dropping beauty of the Scottish landscapes. Yeah, and um, we all know who won that war, hmm? Um, You know, I know at the moment Melissa McCarthy is in the Happy Time Murders That isn't getting great reviews She's got a film in the festival Um, This is called Can You Ever Forgive Me? And it's from director um, Mariella Heller Um And it says, here's a quintessentially New York movie where city loneliness can be sued by a kind face at bookstore counter. It's the early 1990s and Lee Israel is a writer out of fashion. Her celebrity biographies aren't selling. She can't get over her ex-girlfriend and she's been thrown out of every literary party in town for drunkenness. On top, it, uh, on top of it all, her cat is sick. Dark times call for desperate measures, spurred on by roguish drinking buddy Jack, played by Richard E. Grant. Israel turns to a get-rich quick scheme that uses her research skills plus a little knack of improvisation. Next thing, she's selling some newly discovered correspondence from Noel Coward, amongst other literary giants. So, yeah, it's it does look like it's um, yeah fun type of film. So, uh, I'd say check that one out. You have another film that really looks to... I think it, this, this upcoming film, it, it seems to try and tap into, you know, the makeup of society. You know, what drives people... Um, it's a film called Beautiful Boy, and um, yeah, it is directed by Felix Van Groingen. Um, David Sheaf has a life many would envy, a beautiful old, older teenage son, Nick, to whom he is close two younger children from his happy second marriage to artist Karen, a lovingly stepmother to his first son, a house near the North Californian coast, a notable success as a journalist with major major publications like the New York Times and Rolling Stone. Life is good, an open community father, he isn't too alarmed when Nick casually experiments with marijuana. Then, without warning, Nick's interest in drugs 
transformed, becoming more urgent, desperate even. The boy who loved books, music, surfing and his family is withdrawn, agitated, merc- mercurial and dishonest. By the time David realises what's happening, Nick is hooked on crystal meth. Screenwriters Luke Davis and Felix Van Groen adapts two memoirs into a powerful and moving account of a father and son's struggle with addiction and its tragic con- and its tragic consequences. Yeah, it looked. Um yeah, it looked like another really great display, but it's displayed by um, Steve Carell, you know. So I think it's definitely one to watch. Uh, we've next got a film called The Front Runner, uh, and this is directed by Jason Reitman. Um, and yeah, it's actually based on a, a true story. Democratic candidate Gary Hart was the man to beat in the 1988 American presidential campaign. Hampson, whip-smart, principled, and with really great hair. He led George W. Bush in the polls by double digits. America loved him, yet that all, yet that all changed in a week. Breaking unwritten rules on the personal discretions allowed politicians. The Miami Herald staked out Hart's Washington apartment to expose his long-rumoured extramarital affairs. This one, this one with beautiful blonde Donna Rice. Following suit, other media camped outside his house pursuing the candidate's wife and daughter um, based on Matt Bay's expose all the truth is out the weak politics went tabloid Reitman's film centres on this extraordinary week but this satisfyingly multi-layered script also probes Hart's own attitudes the sense of male entitlement that made him Lively, unable to recognize how his behavior would hurt the woman, the women involved. So yeah, kind of interesting. Um, uh, this next film looked so fun. Uh, it's called The Breaker Uppers, um, and it's by Jackie Van Beek and Madeline Sami. Modern society is permanently selling ways to find a perfect relationship. But what if you want to be rid of one? Especially if you're a coward. Obviously, you hire love cynics, Mel and Jen, the breaker-uppers, who will crash weddings, fake pregnancies, or even commit kidnappings to help you achieve a clean break from your soon-to-be ex Co-writer, director, stars Jackie Van Beek and Madeline Semi are alumni of executive producer Taki Watakis Kiwi Collective. 
So there's plenty of that familiar offbeat deadpan humour along with a healthy dose of bridesmaids-esque raunch and observations on female-centric dynamics. Yeah, um, another film was called Support the Girls, and this was directed by Andrew Bagaski. A sports bar with curbs, with an oddly family-friendly emphasis, the restaurant is a peculiar American phenomenon, in the expert hands of LFF alum Bugaski, um, one of the US indie scene's most versatile filmmakers, is also a perfect venue through which to reveal the modern workplace, ruthless corporate exploitation, defiant workers, solidarity and messy gender and racial politics. But that's never at the expense of insightful, even-handed characterization and believably funny, touching situations. It's nigh on impossible not to find these take-charge women the best company around. Yeah, it looked like it could be um fun and um yeah finally um and i believe it's going to be ending the festival is uh stan and ollie from director jean s bard uh in 1953 several years after their last film and with their immense celebrity on the wane Stan Laurel and Ollie Hardy embark on a gig tour of British seaside towns and music halls. Surprised by the mod- modesty of the bookings and um, cramped little guest houses, the tour starts off subdued. They struggle for audiences and the booking agent seems disinterested. But a series of TV guest spots and celebrity appearances soon rekindle the country's interest in their genius and the buzz grows as they head towards a big London finale. As the attention builds, so too do the old resentments coming to a head as they're joined by the wives Lucille and Ida. Coogan and Riley fans know their brilliance as physical comedians, but to watch them here is a revelation. They nail body language, mannerisms, and also routines the duo would have known in their sleep after decades performing together. Craft is sublime throughout, crystallized in an audacious opening with each department dazzling in a six-minute tracking sequence captured by Laurie Rose's camera team. I mean, it just looks spot on. When you look at Steve Coogan and um, John uh, C. Riley, they do really look like Stan and, uh, yeah, Ollie. It's, um, it's crazy. So um, I'm really hoping that this film lives up to you know 
the the kind of um the image it's uh, projecting you know so um yeah they are the films that I saw on Thursday night that caught the attention. I mean, there was a load of stuff and a load of other stuff that looked good. But this was the stuff that I really thought, yeah, I definitely would like to see. So, uh, you know, I've got to go through the program again, see if there's anything else. And then it's about trying to get tickets. So, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens, people. Watch this space, you know. And, um, yeah, go, go, go check it out. You know, if if you're a, I believe if you're a champion, tickets go on sale on the 5th. And if you're a, just a, a normal member, tickets go on sale on the 6th. So, um yeah, go snap up tickets, and they're on general sale on the 13th, so yeah, I will let you know what I finally, um, yeah, get tickets for, cool. Even though I watch, you know, a lot of films, there's still films that I just had, old films, especially, that I haven't seen, and I think a lot of them are probably from the 80s, because I really dislike a lot of 80s films, you know, don't get me wrong, like, John Hughes stuff, love that shit, but I really disliked all the early Spielberg stuff, all that kind of saccharine, just kiddified just rubbish that they just kept on putting out, but I was speaking um, to someone the other day and they were talking about Who Framed Roger Rabbit and they were trying to convince me how much of a great film it was and that I really should see it. I'm a fair person, so I thought I'll go check it out. And, um, yeah... You know, I, I'm probably not going to get, <laughs> I'm not going to get that two hours back, unfortunately. I, like, I I didn't realise until the end of the film that it was Robert, Zum- Robert Zumeckis and Spielberg was also involved. So there was always the, the big chance that I wasn't going to enjoy it. And, yeah, I, I really didn't enjoy it this film i it you can easily see why people would enjoy it um you know it follows those that those that typical kind of 80s troupe really when it comes to this type of film especially like the kids films with just you know there's the issue people trying to save it throwing some slapstick comedy you know, some big kind of commotion at the end, and then everyone lives happily ever after. It's just that, yeah, that typical 80s kind of feel to it. But there were so many weird contrivances in this film, I found. Like, <laughs> there, there's one point, and they're talking about this lost will, um, and the guy looks at a picture... 
and it, uh, and the, the the person who had this will they had some paper in their pocket and he looked at it with a magnifying glass and at the top of the paper it said last will and testament i was just like what like it's just no it was just like little things like that that was just Come on, you can't do this. It was just like this obvious, lazy writing, like throwing in these deuce machinas to get out of any sort of situation. It was just bad. Like the jokes were terrible. They they kept they threw in so many bad, bad jokes and bad puns. Um, yeah, it was just it was. Ugh, just terrible, terrible, and every kind of cartoon contrivance, every cartoon stereotype was in there, like every single one, and was just like, what, you're just cramming these things in, like a lot of the stuff, there was no real need for it, but they were just like, oh, we're so excited, we're making this film. Oh, we've got to include this, and we've got to include that. And I oh, remember the eyes coming out, and oh, when they fall, that they elongate, and oh, yeah, we'll have the, you know, the Constantina effect. And, uh, you know, it was just like, boom, 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 boom. And it was just like, it slowed the story down, and it just made it messy. I think that was the, the real kind of issue with this, the the, the cons- the consistency of the story it was just kind of all over the place just because they're trying to force all these different things into it i and i think the the weird thing is i I, i'd imagine because you know this film came out in 88 so i bet when it came out like graphically it was probably blowing people's minds but when you look at it today it's like the cartoon and the physical don't really align that well. It, it glaringly looks like two things mushed together. It, it's not very seamless. But that's looking at it today after seeing things like Avatar and, you know, Avengers and all, all stuff like that where, the, you know, the effects are now just... In, in incredible so you know it it's not something you can really knock it on because as i said look, back in the 80s that was cutting edge but it's just yeah it doesn't really hold up now i think that's the main thing really it's just a bit stale watching it now it just seems stale it seems a stale film you know the acting like Bob Hoskins just hammed it up David Lloyd again hammed it up and the end with David Lloyd's character like going oh you're human no but you're a cartoon oh and you're the one that killed my brother just like stop just don't do it don't do it yeah I just, you know, I I don't know what it is. Why I just these films they just don't sit well with me. But yeah, it's just eighties films.
and just the you know when I say eighties films, it's just like all these Spielberg films from then, like his latest stuff. I enjoy that. Like I I enjoyed Munich, um, yeah, and probably some others that I can't think of at the moment. But you know, it was just all those E. T. and the Goonies, you know, all that kind of stuff. Just hate it. Just can't stand it. But. But it, as I said, look, it's obvious if you were a fan of those type of films, you're gonna love this. Who Framed Roger Rabbit is definitely for those people. It's just not for me, I'm afraid. It wasn't just old films that I saw this week. I um went to a preview screening of Crazy Rich Asians at the BFI. So, um, yeah, you know, fun thing was they had, I think most of the main cast were there. And there was a little Q&A at the beginning where they, you know, just talked about the reasons why they did the film. Um, what the film meant to them, you know, the, the importance of making such a film. There's, you know, it seems that. This film is is like the equivalent of what black uh, is the equivalent of what Black Panther was um, for Asian people. So you know it, it 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 was a big deal, and everyone everyone there you know they expressed what it was to be in this film. So yeah, it was it was you know it was it was nice to see that. Um, like the film itself, it was an okay film. Yeah, I you know from everything I was hearing about it was, it was a ridiculously funny film. Um, I don't know if I would class it. As that myself, um, although you know, I think they were trying for laughs at the beginning, but it came alive for me really when you first meet Ken Young's character. Um, that's when it really kind of went up a notch with the funniness and. Awakafina, um, her character as well. They were the comic, the real comic reliefs in the film, and helped, I think, balance it out a bit more. Is like in the other parts of the film, there was there were um, there were jokes, but. It was. I I feel it would. A lot of the jokes were the typical kind of cheesy jokes that you see in um, these kind of romantic comedy esque films. But yeah, when Ken Young's character and Aqua Kathina's character, you know, that's when the comedy was at its best. I think. But. 
I think, um, you know, I the, the film itself, it was, yeah, it was, it was a, um, yeah, it was a decent film. It, I think it hit all the tropes that you would find in, like, a romantic film. You know, it had the, see the couple when they're really happy, just on their own, then you introduce these outside elements, whether it's family, friends, and things start to get a little bit rocky, then one big thing happens, and it really throws the cat amongst the pigeons, then there's the, uh, will they, won't they, then they get back together at the end, so it, Hit all of those elements, which was fine, you know, um, and they did it competently. I feel, you know, but yeah, it. I would you you know if you want to, I think probably give it a comparison. This was probably edge of reason. To a Bridget Jones, you know, so decent, but not quite hitting as it could have. I, you know, I, I think that's probably a good way to, um, to you know, it's probably a good way to sum it up, but. You know, I think John Chu, yeah, he he directs it in a um, yeah, in a competent way. You know, it, it it's not badly handled. You know, there's a a lot of framing devices that he uses, and he does that well. So that was good. You know, um. But yeah, I I think there were probably times when it was a little over the top, especially with um, some of Aquafina's bits, a little over the top. And then I think the conceit of some of the situations that they created was slightly off especially towards the end um you know there's a big thing at the end where everything nearly falls apart and i think that the reaction that you get from constance wu's character is a little a little misjudged seeing what you are given on screen. You know, from what you see to then the consequence, it doesn't quite carry. So you do kind of wonder, oh, okay, so what was that? Like, what? Because I thought that happened, so why has that then happened? 
But, you know, I think for the most part, it it went along okay, you know. It was it was a decent film. It wasn't a laugh out loud. Yeah, if you were gonna go from the, the uh, you know the commode rating, it probably didn't hit the six laugh test, but it was close to, you know, was close definitely close to. So it was, you know, it's not a great film, but it is a decent film, and I think. It is good for representation within the Asian community. So, I think it will definitely speak to um, that demographic. And, you know, I think it's probably good for the future. Yeah, so we've got this, we've had Panther. So, you know, it's good for diversity within the film industry. So if you are, I mean, if you are a fan of, you know, those romantic comedy type of films, like things like, um, something about Mary, um, some of those Peter Siegel films, like early Richard Curtis I think you will like this film. This film is probably for you. So, yeah. It will be out from Friday in the UK. So, yeah. Probably go go check it out. Crazy Rich Asians. So, I did a couple of books this week. And um, really enjoyed both of them. I think... Um, yeah, it, like one was a kind of a historical book and the other was just a uh, kind of a, a crime thriller. Um, so the first book, his, the, the historical one, let's say, was October, the story of the Russian Revolution by China Melville, who um, a lot of people might know from City in the City, uh, on London, the Kraken, uh, Peridio Station, you know, stuff like that. Um, so, you know, I enjoyed all these other books, so I was really interested to check this out. Um, and, it, you know, it's been said that China's been inspired by the ideas of the Russian Revolution for a while. So um, this was something he's been kind of looking to write. Um, I mean, like some of the blurb is, uh, let's read this. This is the story of the extraordinary months between those upheavals of the revolution. In February and October, of the forces and individuals who made 1917 so epochal a year, of their intrigues, negotiations, conflicts and catastrophes from familiar, from familiar names like Lenin and Toyshkri 
to their opponents, Kornilov and Kerensky, from a Byzantium squabbles of urban activists to the remotest villages of a sprawling empire, from the revolutionary railroad sublime to the ciphers and static of coop by telegraph from grand sweep to forgotten detail historians have debated the revolution for a hundred years its portents and possibilities the mass of literature can be daunting but here is a book for those new to the events told not only in the historical import but in all their passion and drama and strangeness because as well as a political event of profound and ongoing consequence, Melville reveals the Russian Revolution as a breathtaking story. I think, for me, I think the interesting thing about this book was some there was a lot of detail that I'd never heard before. You know, I've I've kind of read books about the Romanovs and kind of what happened you know how it went down all stuff like that in a lot of those stories um like nicholas is spoken about as being kind of blindsided by this all you know not really you know being this kind person who was taken advantage of but in this book you see him in a completely different light. You know, he, he's kind of shown as this just egomaniac, even really, of a bit of a bumbling buffoon, but yeah, kind of an egomaniac. You know, people keep on telling him, look, this is detrimental to the people. And he keeps on pressing on, thinking he knows best, even without the experience to back those claims up so that was something i've never heard before also the death of um rasputin is completely different in this story to other versions that i've heard so there was a lot of kind of yeah strange events that seem to have been swept over in the past and the kind of um dealings with Lenin and how he was instrumental in everything and the role he, you know the role he played throughout that wasn't a, you know I've never seen it documented like this so it's very interesting reading a tale that was more probably fact based than some of the stories that I I'd I'd um read in the past. So it's interesting, you know. I mean, is this the exhausted history? Um probably not. But as a reference point, you know, something to go back to, something to compare other stories to, I think this probably holds up. This is probably, um, you know, a good thing to to start with as well. If you've never read this story before, 
like this story, this chapter in history, even, yeah. So um, yeah, I would recommend it, especially you know if you're a fan of Russian history and if you're a fan of China Melville. So yeah, I would uh, I'd check that out. Um, once I finished that, I, I wanted something a bit lighter, you know. Uh, uh, you know that's why I like to kind of flip between books to change that tone. Yeah, just so you don't get a bit kind of dead to uh, you know the stuff you're reading so I picked up a book by Mark Dawson um, it was the s- second in his John Milton's series called Saint Death um, I read the first the first book I, I believe it was last year um, so yeah finally got around to Doing the second, and the blurb is, John Milton has been off the grid for six months. He surfaces in uh, Shoad Jerez, Mexico, and immediately finds himself drawn into a vicious battle, but battle with the narco gangs that control the borderlands. He saves the life of an idealistic young journalist who has been targeted for execution. The only way to keep her safe is to smuggle her into Texas. Working with the only untouchable cops in the city and a bounty hunter whose motives are unclear, Milton must keep her safe until the crossing can be made. But when the man looking for her is a legendary assassin... Santa Murta, Saint Death, that's a lot easier said than done. Like this was a um it was you know it was a it was a fun read. It's very kind of fast paced and succinct, you know, it's not really flabby in its telling in its story. Uh yeah, it kinda of gets to the point pretty quickly. And then, yeah, it just takes you on that kind of high-paced ride through the story, which is good, you know. I think it's especially with something like this, because, you know, a lot of times there's only so much you can, you know, be, uh, so much you can believe in, okay, so what, they're really going to go there? <sighs> Oh, the person isn't just going to take the shot there, you know, like with that stuff. So it's good the way this kind of went from A to B, boom, just did it. Uh, and I think it's kind. Of, it was pretty believable as well as a story. You know, you like the the only bits were a bit like really. Was when it came to um, the dealings in the British intelligence with um, their mole problem. That was a bit like, hmm, you're telling me that? Is that easy to pull off? But other than that, yeah, it's an in- it was an enjoyable second book. It didn't really lag, so it kept you going. And... I think it's enough. It was enough to keep make you think. All right, yeah, I'm interested in more John Milton adventures. You know, I, I'll I'll, uh, 
I'll grab book three and I'll see what's happening with that. So yeah, that's what I think. I mean, you can easily see this being made into a film or a TV series, you know. Um, so if you if you like kind of cop thriller kind of books, you know, I guess in the vein of like Jack Reacher. Then John Milton is probably for you So uh, yeah It's by Mark Dawson I believe there's like something like I don't know 10 books or something so far So um Yeah Why not um Why not tre- check out the adventures of uh, John Milton You know Cool And, um, yeah, that was it for the books this week. So, comics-wise this week, I I read the Spider-Men 2, the sequel to Spider-Men that came out, um, yeah, a few years back. Um, so this was from... Brian Michael Bendis and Sarah Picelli, you know, um, just still just finishing making my way through Bendis's last Marvel work, so I had this, so I figured, hey, I'd um yeah check it out, and it was collecting, it was a trade, so it was just collecting issues one to five, and um. Alright, so if you don't know, this is what it was about. The sequel, Five Years in the Making. The first time the amazing Peter Parker and ultimate Miles Morales met, things ended with a question. Who is the Miles Morales of the Marvel Universe? Now that Miles knows... Now the Miles you know and love shares a world with Peter in the mainstream... Marvel Universe, you're finally getting to get the answer. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Because as the mystery mystery deepens, the wall-crawling wonders will be targeted by Taskmaster. Yeah. So, <clears throat> essentially, that is what this is. You know, just... Still trying to... Miles is still wondering if there is another version of him in this universe. And... Yeah, that's what we find out. And the relationship that version of Miles has in, you know, the main Marvel universe... As a story goes, it didn't feel urgent, you know, it, 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 was, it didn't feel like it was something that we needed, that something that was filling a void, you know, it was kind of like, mm, kind of like origin really, you know. We didn't really need Wolverine's real name. And that's what this was. It was just 
you know, is there a Miles Morales in the main Marvel Universe? Okay, there is, fine. And that's it. There really isn't much of consequence that comes out of this. Yeah, the 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 main thing with this was, I mean, I must have missed something, but I thought all the multiple universes were now gone. That was the one thing question I had from reading this. Everything else, yeah, just didn't really, really didn't matter. I mean, the writing was fine enough. There was a few places where the interactions between Peter and Miles did feel a little forced, a little played out. But for the most part, yeah, the, the you know, the story is fine. Oh, yeah, there is a certain character that people will know from other books, especially Hornhead books. Um, in this book, he doesn't seem like that character. Yeah, that's the one. That is one point. That one character does not come off as that character in this book. But other than that, yeah, the writing is fine. The art is nice. Yeah, the art is nice. Um, Genk does look like he's gone on a diet. But really, yeah, there, you know, there's no complaints on the art front. You know, Sarah Pachilli is a, she's very talented. So, you know, and that is always good with a good story. You know, it helps everything flow, move along. So, yeah, no real issues on the creative side other than just the story itself, you know. It just wasn't really anything that was needed. Yeah, but if you are a fan of Bendis, if you're a fan of Pichilli, if you just like Mars Morales as a character... Yeah, you you want something to read? Yeah, check it out. You know, it's not terrible. It just won't blow you away like a lot of the other Mars Morales stuff, or even like the first, um, the first mini series, which was just fantastic. But yeah, you know, Spider Man Two. There's probably a sale on Comixology where you can grab it. So, yeah, go check it out. You're such a nice guy, a nice guy. You're faithful, you don't lie. After the club, you'll go back home, right? So at the end of last week, Eminem dropped a new album. Yeah, no one was expecting it. It's, you know, it's this trend of like the surprise album coming out. Um, And this one is his 10th 
studio album. And he decided to call it Kamikaze. Uh, it was co-produced with Dre. And I, he, he, M seems to be wanting to, you know, get back the shine that has been kind of diminishing over the years. Especially after the reaction to the last album, Revival. So, I think the big question, of course, is, like, has M turned it around? You know, is this the banger that he hoped? I'm, yeah, I've listened to it a few times, so I can talk on it, but I'm kind of mixed over it, to be honest with you. You know, like... Lyrically, Eminem is is great. You know, he he's got a real depth to his wordplay. You know, he 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 can really tell a story. So that's always you know I love that about his style. The problem for me is that he can often become repetitive, and like a lot of rappers. Oftentimes, the beats that he chooses aren't always the best. Like, they can be okay, but, you know, you think, alright, this needs to, it's getting repetitive now, it needs to change. You need to change this up. And I think that is definitely... Something that you notice on on like the first two tra- tracks, really, the ringer and the greatest. Like I think the it starts off like beat wise, like yo, this is yeah, this is cool, this is catchy. But you know, it's, especially the ringer, the ringer's five minutes and thirty seven seconds. So you get to a point where you're like, all right. I'm I'm kind of bored of this beat now. Like, give me some diversity here. You know, you, you need to change it up a little. It's a bit too, it's a bit too samey. You know, and that seems to be a thing throughout. I would say that, uh, like, my favorite tracks are probably Stepping Stone, where M talks about. Like, his relationship with his peers, you know, especially, like, D12. And, you know, just how it's been over the years. Like, what he feels he might have been able to do better. You know, just that kind of stuff, the perception. So, I I really like that track. And, like, Nice Guy isn't too bad. That's not a bad track. Um, like good guy is okay, but I think it's more for Jesse Reyes, really, with that track. Um, Kamikaze is all right, but it gets a little bit tiresome, so yeah, that that's a thing. Like, normal, just. Yeah, not a fan of normal. I I just think it's just a bit too. 
it just gets a bit whiny for me. Lucky you is okay, but like the hook is just. I'm not feeling the hook, and yeah, it kind of just veers off too much. It goes a bit. Yeah, just seems to lose its thread. Um, I really don't like fall. Fall just. It just doesn't feel like it has a place on the album. I, you know, a, a thing with M as well. I don't like the singing. He, you know, obviously he can't sing, so it's not like singing as in. You know, I guess some people, but he, he, you know, he, he, he puts on affectation sometimes in a song. So he'll like sing a little element of it, not a full hook, but just an element of it. And I'm just never a fan of that. Like the Venom song. Like themes for movies and stuff There's been some great ones There's been some bad ones There's been a lot of meh ones And Venom is probably a meh one You know I think one of the I think the One of the things with the album I think it probably He probably should have gone the Nas route and made it shorter. Uh, that that's the kind of thing. He he probably for it to be tighter. It probably should have been shorter, and just get rid of the skits. I've I, I I've never really been a fan of skits. You know, back in the day, of just like rappers trying to pretend how. Gangster they are And hey look Oh yeah they're macking on this chick And blah 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 They're always bad There's not really Many skits I'm like oh that was great I'm going to listen to that again and again You know get rid of the skits Shorten the album And I, for me it would have been tighter I, It looks like The album's going to go to number one So pfft, you know, what the fuck do I know? But this doesn't grab me like other albums that, you know, we weren't expecting. Of You know, of course, we've got like, um, you know, there, there's been things from like, uh, like I wasn't, a, 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 I didn't, I wasn't in love with the Kanye album, but. It has more impact than M's album. Like, Everything Is Love. Yo, that was just instant fire. You know, the Nas album, it was okay. Nas album was okay. Uh, And the Black Thought album, again, you know, these albums, there's more to those for me than this one from M. The other odd thing as well, though, if if you think about it, it's just the name, like Kamikaze, because, you know, that was like a, 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 a suicidal 
airplane pilot. Yeah, or you're you're saying someone's extremely reckless and caught in death. So what is M really saying with this album? You know, is this the last album from M? Like what what is there another message in that? Well, you know, who the fuck knows, but I guess, you know, he he's definitely a move upwards from revival, but not the huge steps that I would have hoped. Damn. Yeah, I really went on this week. Whew. I realise this is the longest podcast I've done so far. Apologies for the ramblings and wafflings. And it's mainly because of the London Film Festival breakdown, but I hope that there was some useful stuff in there. Um, you know, of course, you know, everyone's got different tastes. So check out the program online or go down to the BFI. They've got loads of programs out there. I have to give mad respect to the BFI as well because, you know, they try to put together a large print version of the program. So that was very appreciated. Um, But yeah, go check it out. Um, You know, general tickets will go on sale on September the 13th. Um... If you remember, tickets go on sale tomorrow at 10am. So check that out. Uh, Right, so I've decided to extend the HelloFresh competition. So remember, if you want a free box, just leave a comment or drop me a message, private message on Twitter, Instagram, whatever, whatever, you know. And um, yeah, we will... Select a winner soon, but um, yeah, big thank you to everyone that is tuning in every week, subscribing, and just listening to this craziness. I appreciate it, thank you very much, and um, yeah, enjoy the week, people, have fun, and we will touch base again. Next week with episode 15. Peace.